Hello, and welcome to another episode of AdventuresIn.net. I'm Sean Kleber, your host. And for our episode today, we're going to continue where we left off with Christos Matskis last week, talking about security. Please enjoy. Did you work your tail off to get that senior developer gig just to realize that senior dev doesn't actually mean dream job? I've been there too. My first senior developer job was at a place where all of our triumphs were the bosses and all the failures were ours. The second one was a great place to continue to learn and grow, only for it to go under due to poor management. And now I get job offers from great places to work all the time. Not only that, but the last job interview I actually sat in was a discussion about how much my podcast had helped the people interviewing me. If you're looking for a way to get into your dream job, then join our Dev Heroes Accelerator. Not only will we help you get the kind of exposure that makes you attractive to your dream employer, but you'll be able to ask them for top dollar as well. Check it out at devheroesaccelerator.com. It's been a few months since I've done this, but we had a similar issue. We had Azure Storage that was just open to the world. And we did a security audit and started cleaning some stuff up. And I remember that and like I said, I'm blank, blanking on the terminology, but I actually updated the storage to only be accessible from certain other applications in our Azure infrastructure. And uh, yeah, I don't know why I'm blanking on it, but it was, you know, you set up the, the infrastructure where they can only talk to each other and anything outside of that, it just says, no, nope, you know, mm-hmm. no access. You so can strip to a VNet, I think. Yep. You can do VNet restriction these days. And then there are some some clever ways to provision your infrastructure. But again, once somebody gets access to that VM, for example, that has access to your storage account, how is your data secured there? Like, can I just go into the VM with whatever account and then start enumerating resources? And how far will that enumeration go before I'm stopped by other security measures? So you see, it's uh, again, it's always layers. You have to think about security in layers. It's not like, hey, we threw a firewall or we have a VNet and everything is restricted. And sometimes people become the attack vectors themselves. Like rather than attacking the resources, you can attack the people who write the software mm. and gain access to their account. And suddenly they they mount the attack on your behalf. Scary, I know. Like after this conversation, people were like freaking out. It's like, <laughs> what am I going to do with my... But that's the whole point. I want everybody to think about every time they write a line of code, how's the line of code could be, or how would that line of code could be used to mountain attack. Is there a vulnerability out there? Am I putting any sensitive information here? Is my deployment secure enough? And if if they don't know, I would say, go out and ask. Ask your team, how are they doing their deployments? How are they doing their, how are they securing the database? I, I worked in a company, I kid you not, I'm not going to name names, but we our connection to our databases was SA, no password. And when I went to ask the, the DBA, he was like, it's easy. I don't have to remember my passwords. It's like that. That was for the entire infrastructure, production, developer, and whatever. Like we used to be that. default. That used to be default. default. Yeah, there you go. Or, <laughs> that's yeah. bad. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah. Say no password. Say no password. Yeah. The the password was not no password, but because I asked him like, is the password no password? It's like no, no, no. You just have, don't have a password. It's blank. Who needs a password. <laughs> <laughs> Same uh, admin, admin. You know, right. it's these things that you have to question yourself. So if you're Whatever you do, how, how, however long you've been in this industry, you will always find things that surprise you every single day. So make sure you question yourself, question your team, and let's write more secure software, please. So what's the, yeah. best, way to, what's the best way to learn these things? You know, it, developers, you know, they're trying to keep up with the latest .NET. They're mm-hmm. going to keep up with the latest CSS, the front-end framework, all these kind of stuff. 
you know, how do they also work in security into that? The ever-increasing to-do list of things that they have to catch up with, right? I, I get it. I don't know. I mean, I, I always looked in security because I had a passion for security. And at some point, I wanted to be a hacker, like a white hacker, not a, not a black hat hacker, you know, the white hat, the, the one that protects the innocent. And I always had this kind of concept. So there are some, if you're writing web, for example, you don't have to know everything, right? But if you're writing web applications, then go have a look on the OWASP top 10. Try to educate yourself about what are the most common attacks. I mean, even today, after 20 so many years, we see still see SQL injection attacks, which have been on the top one of the OWASP top 10 for the last 20 years. Since we started doing OWASP, SQL injection has been at the very top because people don't understand what can happen once you, uh, you know, expose your database into these kind of attacks or your code. So educate yourself there. There are some fantastic courses on Microsoft Learn, on Pluralsight, and other sites that will do, like Troy Hunt, for example, has done a fantastic job. I don't know if you follow Troy Hunt or if you had the chance to get him on your show, but Have he's I done a fantastic yep. Yes. I mean, he, he wrote that tool, but he's also done a lot of educational content on Pluralsight to help you get there. There are a lot of hacking uh, initiatives out there that allow you to think as a hacker. So instead of you trying to protect yourself, you actually act as a hacker and then you see how these attacks are, are mounted. So it uses like super secure sites that were designed just for that. Don't go and hack other people's sites, please. There are like platforms that are designed for being hacked. And then you learn through that process. And then that allows you to think from the outside in, like rather than try to protect because the attackers are always one step ahead. So we need to always play catch up. We need to have some passion for that. I, I don't expect everyone to be a security expert, but ideally just having the notion of, hey, we're doing something here. Can somebody have a look in the team? Like, let's do a quick review to see if we're exposing anything. And even if you don't know, sometimes companies will hire pen testing, third-party pen testing companies that will come and do the audit for you. And then they will present you with a list of issues and remediation for these issues. So again, there are a lot of ways to get educated, but yeah. Just be even just being aware of things, it's enough to at least uh, get you one step ahead of the game. I often view like security, like fundamentally, it's a, it's a technical problem, but also fundamentally, it's kind of like a it's really a people problem. And I think it's one of those things where, like, like you know, especially for enterprise security, you really do need to work with the users to kind of find a way that works that is secure, but also allows them to actually do their work. Because if you don't allow them to do their work, they'll find a loophole around it. And then you're even, and then they're outside the tent being even more insecure. So, yeah, yeah, we've seen that as well. I mean, at Microsoft, we always have these random kind of uh, uh, phishing emails that will come and yeah. they will test us. They look super legit sometimes. So, you have to be aware. And you're right. It's again, as I said, security is like DevOps, it's more about culture and educating people rather than tools and stuff. I mean, th they do come into their own responsibility, they do have their own place. But Again, I was working with another company where they had layers upon layers of firewalls and VNets and whatever, but they had one jump box that everybody from inside the network would jump into in order to get access to that uh, infrastructure. And guess what? They were never protecting the internal network. They were just looking at what's running up there on the cloud. How do we protect it? Mm. Right. No, no outside access. We're super secure. But they never thought about what happens if somebody maliciously jumps onto that jump box with that same account that everybody was using, right? It was just one account. And then they had admin access to the whole infrastructure. It's a threat modeling. Again, you need to understand. And, and there are people that will come and do the threat modeling for you 
just to help your developers and your teams get on board and understand what they're protecting. Sometimes, you know, people will think about security and they will try to do everything. Obviously, you can never be 100% secure. Uh, so you need to justify the cost and the benefit of how much do we need to do and do when do we stop? Like when when it's a reasonable thing to, you know, a reasonable point for us to stop. It's a different ego. Oh, okay. Has two-factor authentication helped the security world? It has definitely helped uh, with identity, you know, managing identities. And hopefully everyone there is using uh, two-factor authentication where they can. I know it's a pain sometimes to do that, but uh, these days Microsoft is moving towards uh, even a passwordless environment where I don't even have, like I haven't typed in my domain uh, password. And trust me, I don't even know it because like 75 characters long, but we have Windows Hello, which allows me to access my resources on my Windows machine. And then in uh, in other uh, hardware. Again, it's it's using Microsoft Authenticator on my phone to secure access to things like Outlook, right? So multi-factor authentication has definitely improved from getting owned because people are lazy. People will reuse passwords all the time. And fortunately, not everyone is as uh, well-versed on to using password managers for everything. Sometimes I, I even I get bored, right? I need to buy something. I can buy socks. And then I had to sign up for this thing. I was like, oh, do I really want to go and create? But then again, I'm thinking that website could be owned in a few uh, months. So why not? So I will do it. And yeah, you definitely need to have two-factor authentication where you can and or multi-factor authentication where you can. And you should definitely be using a password manager. A good combination of both. Well, I think, I think sometimes the two-factor authentication can actually make your life easier just because like you know i hate i absolutely hate passwords and it's just Mm -hmm. it is annoying because we all fall into the trap of using the same password or even just doing that thing where you just change like one letter on the password for every site or whatever but but like i I mean when i log into my microsoft account now yeah i don't even have i don't have password i just i just get an off notification on my phone and it just just hit it through you know like that's so much safer i don't have to remember anything you know as long as I have my phone on me. And it will also flag up things like because it's running behind, Azure AD is running behind things. We have machine learning. So it will actually flag up mm. suspicious sign-in. So if you are currently located in Australia and suddenly there's a login from Seattle, US, then uh, Azure Active Directory will actually flag it. And sometimes it will send you a message saying, are you, are you actually residing right now? Or are you actually traveling to the US and you're trying to sign in? Or is that yeah. somebody else trying to sign up? So that is also quite good from a customer perspective or a user perspective because it protects you. Yeah. And you got the conditional access where you can say, like, if you're on your work network, then you mm-hmm. don't need to do um, 2FA and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's really good. Um, exactly. Yeah. Super secure. So you mentioned Windows Hello. That's that's biometrics, basically, right? It is. It's a part mm-hmm. of the multi-factor passwordless initiative that we have there to eliminate as many passwords as we can. Yeah. I've always been afraid of using my fring- fingerprint like on my phone or anything like that because I'm I'm guaranteed sooner or later somebody's going to figure out how to crack wherever they store my fingerprint algorithm oh, hack your, whatever. Hack your finger off. In no. there it's like <laughs> then I only you know I only have 10 passwords. Ten. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. And quite a few security researchers have talked about uh, biometrics and how they're you know they're one time Passwords, right? If they get owned, you can't change your fingerprints no matter how much you try, unless you wipe them out, I guess. But this is too too invasive. So yeah, I would say like if he face is fine, right? I mean, okay, it doesn't change, but then again, it's for me logging into my corporate network. I'm not signing in to buy stuff from the sock place. 
with my biometrics. And if they, if they were asking for that, I would probably say that's way too much information that I need to disclose for that. But say my, my Apple Pay, I, I love the fact that it prompts me for that biometric information because it's, it has most of my banks. So somebody gets my phone, then yeah, that would be, that would be a bit of a mess. But I don't know, pros and cons, I guess. From what I understand, it doesn't actually store your whole fingerprint. It's just bits and pieces of it that it identifies with some algorithm. So that just seems like it's going to make it even easier to, to crack someday. It could be, and I'm pretty sure that people are looking into that as we speak, but I'm not an expert. Like Again, security has so many aspects that I'm not an expert in biometrics, so I wouldn't be able to uh, say anything yeah. other than use them wisely or use them as personally as you can. I think my phone is the only thing that has access to my face and my Windows Hello camera, but no fingerprints. Have y'all seen video? I don't know if it was on YouTube, but this guy had his mom's iPhone and he ordered like a $600 app. And then he walked up to her to put it in front of her face to verify. And she did this. And of course, you can't see me because I'm talking all but she scrunched up her face and made funny and, and was moving her head around <laughs> so that he couldn't, <laughs> he couldn't use it to charge, you know, the $600 uh, deal. Uh, funny stuff. Funny and scary, I would say. Yeah, yeah. As with everything else, it's, uh, it's down to us how responsibly or how badly we use this piece of technology. So where's, where's security going? What's next? What's fusion, yeah. security, whatever? I can't speak for all security because, again, there's so much out there. But from an identity perspective, I think there are a lot of steps in improving token provisioning, token binding, and ensuring that only the right parties have the ability to acquire and use tokens. So if we're talking about identity, then one of the most exciting things that is in the works right now is continuous access evaluation, whereas once you are issued and access token to access a resource. Up until this point, that access token was valid for its lifetime, right? You couldn't revoke it easily from the owner of that access token. Now with continuous access evaluation, which has not been ratified yet, what we want to do and what we will be able to do is at any point, uh, you could go into Azure Active Directory and and, uh, revoke that access token. And therefore, let's say I sign in the morning to my email, right? I have full access to my email and that access token is valid for an hour. Now my boss calls me in the next five minutes and says, well, Christos, it's been fantastic working with you, but we have to part ways. Thank you very much for all your hard work. Bye. At this point, I am fired, but I still have access to all my email. I can go and download my my full file, my PST file. I can go and uh, start emailing random people. But with continuous access evaluation, my boss can give uh, the heads up to the IT team the ID team will go and revoke my access token. And if I try to go back into my Outlook, it will say, uh, your session has expired. And this is fantastic because now we can issue much longer leave tokens. So they can issue me a 24-hour token. I don't have to go back to Azure Active Directory to get a token for my email again, which makes my application a lot more resilient, but I have to ping Azure AD all the time. And at the same time, a lot more secure because my IT team can revoke that token at any point. So we could even have 365 days worth of tokens and they can still revoke it at any time they want. And that will extend to your third party, your custom applications. So your web app could say, go and get an access token for my API. And then once uh, you want to revoke that token, you can do that. And then the web app won't be able to access that API anymore. So it extends a lot more than just proprietary APIs or first party APIs as we call them. And that is going to be ratified 
RFC uh, protocol that everybody will be implementing. So right now they're trying to work out what kind of notification we can send downstream to the the client to notify them that the code that the access token has been revoked. That and then token binding, which means again that if I acquire a token, it's bound to my application. So if you come and steal my token and try to use it somewhere else, Azure Active Directory will say, "Well, stop. Uh, sorry, I don't recognize you. That's not bound to the right client." Are you under increasing pressure to ship code faster than ever before? Then it's time to work smarter with Raygun's modern approach to error and performance monitoring. Raygun gives you instant visibility into the health of your software, and what makes it so unique is that it not only tells you when something's gone wrong, it shows you exactly where it's gone wrong and how to fix it, right down to the line of code. Made by developers for developers, Raygun has built a suite of monitoring tools that are used and loved by thousands of software teams every day. Monitor every corner of your tech stack with widespread language support and native integrations with GitHub, Jira, Slack, Bitbucket, Octopus Deploy, and more for even greater visibility. Visit Raygun.com to resolve issues faster and deliver flawless digital experiences for your users. That's Raygun.com to get started on your free 14-day trial with plans starting from as little as $4 per month. So if something is set up that way, then it doesn't uh, work like cash, cash credentials. Like with my login, if I'm disconnected, I still have so many days that I can log in before Windows says, oh, it's been too long since I've been able to, to verify your password. So, Yeah, so certain refresh. So when you get an access token, you also get a refresh token with it. And then that refresh token works in perpetuity. In fact, on my phone, I haven't had to sign into my Outlook in forever. Because it will always, like as soon as, as soon as you use it, you get a new refresh token and it says, hey, yeah, you're here. Perfect. I don't have to uh, worry about that again. Right. With as, far as, as, far as, as far as revocation, if you're disconnected, it can't send uh-huh. out, it can't Correct. revoke it if you're disconnected. So True, it's, but it's, you won't have access to real-time data if you're disconnected, right? So it's uh, like, okay, I, I see what you're saying there. So I get fired, I, I quickly go and stop the Wi-Fi for my phone, no 5G service, and I still have access to my web app. Probably I, I would say that that's valid, but then again, no more access to any other resources at that point. Does that mean- like, but then again, my phone would be owned by, like if, if it's a corporate phone, that's a very good point. So I have a corporate phone. So it is in tuned, right? It's uh, it's added to device management, which means that my corporate, the, the IT team will also wipe out remotely all the data on my phone. Mm. But like like my laptop, I'm just thinking about different scenarios. And uh-huh. I had to go. So like my laptop, if it's disconnected, I can then go grab my PST file and copy it off before they, you know, you could. My access. But I suspect that the phone call will be probably followed uh, the, the the phone call will come after the IT team has done all the damage right so I suspect that your manager is not going to give you a heads up saying hey you're getting fired in five minutes so <laughs> go and do whatever you can I suspect that will be like I don't have access to my email anymore you call your manager or your team it's like hey is everybody down or whatever and they will say well you might want to call Mike right and yeah he will tell you so it's usually like that or we don't have any idea just call to tech support and then they will give you the news so maybe the way I presented it was not realistic, but assume that there are ways to revoke tokens before you even get a sniff. But yeah, you're right. I mean, you could be backing up your PST every night if you want to. Mm. Damn, I, g- I gave it away now. <laughs> you, you ruined the... <laughs> well, if someone really wants it, there are ways to do it. Right? You can always just take a photo of your, your screen. No, that's the, no, you oh, know. there you go. Right. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I mean, it's it's what the director of FBI said. There are two types of companies, the ones that know that have been hacked and the ones that don't know it yet. So don't. If, <laughs> if you become a target, then you're going to become a target. And it's 
it's like social engineering or all these security tests that we talked about, nobody gets it perfect. So one way or another, something's going to happen. And usually it's easier through social engineering because people are more susceptible or more inclined to help when there's there's need, right? There's a couple nice videos of security people or security experts. They're being interviewed and said, look, I'm going to get access to your T-Mobile account or your email account. So they call up the, the power company or whatever. And they go, oh, my husband is going on a trip and they're crying and they have a, a fake baby crying on the side and she's in tears. And in fact, she gets full access to uh, his account, which is uh, scary, but it takes like five minutes because the other person on the line, and he, he, uh, he or she are hearing someone who's in distress. They want to help out. And they, they have some information, but don't have everything. I mean, when, you, when we're usually distressed, we don't really remember most of the information. Some people forget their date of birth. So it, it goes to like, okay, I, I, I see that you are saying who you say you are. I'm not 100% sure, but I want to be helpful. So they will try to do that. So it happens. Like people will reverse engineer LinkedIn to try to figure out, hey, who's the CFO of your company? And then they will pretend that an email comes from them and they will instruct you to go and pay whatever X money to or wire money to an X account. And nobody questions that, right? Why is my CFO? I mean, if your CFO comes to you and says, hey, go and pay this guy because we need to uh, close this deal. Suddenly, we're going to call them up and say, did you send the email? I mean, you should. But uh, many people have been caught by that. In fact, we did an exercise at Microsoft where we're shown LinkedIn profiles like proper LinkedIn profiles that internally at Microsoft, I don't know if you know that, but Microsoft is the biggest security company in the world. And we have some fantastic and super clever people, always fun to be in these kind of exercises. So we were shown some like 12 different profiles on LinkedIn. I couldn't figure out which ones were legit and which ones, uh, which ones were for phishing. Right? You connect with me, we can, we're in the same space. Let's talk about uh, technology. And then you have no idea that they're using that information to reverse engineer your network. So yeah, I, I get I get friends requests from Facebook all the time from family members uh-huh. I'm already friends with. It's like <laughs> my mom, she had ended up having you know, a bunch of accounts because she always forgot her password. So she made a new mm-hmm. account, things like that. But a lot of those, it's like, okay, who are they friends with? Do, do a little digging before I say, yeah, uh-huh. I'll friend them. Yeah. Because I find out that, oh, they don't have any friends. Well, then that's not my, not my family, not my friend. So don't accept. <laughs> So is there anything uh, we haven't covered that you really wanted to let our listeners know about before we uh, wrap up? God, we could be talking about security all day, but I guess that your your listeners will get bored of my voice. So I would say we have enough here to get people to start looking and questioning how and what they're doing and what they can do next. If people have questions, they can reach out to me if they want to. What's the best way to do that? uh, Twitter. I usually answer on Twitter very quickly. I'm super active to to the annoyance of my wife, but Twitter is the first uh, line of defense. And then if I need to escalate or if we need to get more people involved or point you something else, it might be through email, but Twitter is usually the best place to find me. What's your Twitter handle? It's my full name. So it's uh, at Christos Matskas. Cool. All right, guys, let's move on to picks. Hey folks, it's Charles Maxwood. And I just wanted to jump on real quick and let you know that I am putting together a podcasting course. I get asked all the time. I've been coaching people for the last six months. How do you start a podcast? How do you put it together? What do I need in order to get it going, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I've put together the curriculum and I did it through coaching a whole bunch of people. And now I want to share it with you. You can go check out the course. It's actually going to be a masterclass. It's going to be a four-week masterclass where I actually walk you through the entire process of launching a terrific-sounding podcast and putting together content that people want to listen to. And you can find it at podcastbootcamp.io.
Who wants to go first? I'll go. So this pick actually came about because of this discussion, and I realized, hey, I'm using the service, and I actually like the way it works. It's called Privacy or Privacy.com. And this company, what they figured out is you set up an account with them, and they will generate credit card numbers for you with, with the expiration dates and the whole deal. And then these credit card numbers are only virtual. And they actually allow you to put a limit on the card. So one time $45 max or a max per month or a max per year. And I've actually used it, I think, five or six times, typically for like subscription services that I'm testing out and I want to see how they work. But I don't want to necessarily give them the keys to the kingdom with my, my normal credit card. And it's it's benefited me at least once because I signed up for something to test it out and put enough money on it to do one month subscription. And I didn't really like it. So I canceled it, but it didn't get canceled um, on their end. I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was a mistake. And for several weeks, I was getting emails from privacy saying, so-and-so company has tried to charge this amount to your card and it and it failed. Right. Um, so I contacted the company like, oh, oh yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll cancel your account. And of course, you have to give it some way to pay money. So it's connected to my checking account. But I use a password manager and, you know, it's got a, a very long password, but I found it really useful. So, yeah, privacy.com. I, I wish I wish banks did that. Allowed you to basically issue, use once credit card numbers, you know, like I'm surprised that hasn't happened yet. I guess, but I guess banking infrastructure is... Some of them know, do. Slow. Some of them do. I have yeah. a couple of, uh, of credit cards that will allow you to create a one-time... A virtual credit card. Yeah, that's awesome. That so do, they, sounds they, awesome. do they charge for that service, Caleb? You know what? Uh, I haven't tried it. Well, they 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 charge if you do like more than five credit cards a month. Like you create more. Oh. It depends on how many you're creating. For me, I create one a month at the most or one every couple of months. And so now it's free. So do you top up the same credit card over and over again? Is that how it works? You can. I, what I've done is I've actually created a credit card for each subscription. And then if that subscription, say, is $12 a month, I tell it max $12 a month per month, and it automatically gets paid out of my credit card. But if if I know that I, I've got a year subscription, but I don't want to necessarily renew, right, I can set an end date for, for this credit card. So if I actually forget to cancel the subscription, it's canceled. The, the credit card will no longer work. So, yeah, it's... It's it's a nice system, and and yeah, they do have a paid version, but but I don't I don't have the need for that, at least not at this point. So yeah, check it out. Nice. Mm. What's your pick? Why? So this week, just because we're in quarantine, as I mentioned before, is for a game studio called RV App Studio. So with little kids, I've been trying to find like educational apps for them to use, but all of them have got like just tons of ads and stuff like that and they don't know what they're doing and they're often like just going, oh, why have I clicked on this and all that stuff? But um, like this company, I'm not sure if they're like a non-profit or something, but they've got like tons and tons of apps and none of them have any ads or anything and they're all like fairly educational. So um, yeah, I've just been getting my kids to play them with that um, while while I've been trying to work and all that stuff. So yeah, they're, they're a good company. All right, Christos, what's your pick that you want to let listeners know about? That's a good question. I think we mentioned Have I Been Pwned? I don't know if you've talked about this one before, but I would highly recommend going to haveibeenpwned.com and registering the email addresses that you use for 
buying stuff. I would say it's a fantastic service because Troy is actually capturing any any data dumps that are taken from websites that have been owned by hackers and use that information to alert you. So if you ever used your Gmail address to buy socks, I don't know, what's wrong with socks today? I don't know. But anyway, let's say you bought socks from this random uh, supplier and they got owned, then at least you can go and either delete that account or rotate the, your secrets and make sure that they're not used. Ideally, you have separate secrets for or passwords for these kinds of things. But as I said, people tend to be lazy. I used to be lazy, so uh, I've been caught by that. I think right now it sits at 11 billion and 500 million email unique email addresses that have been captured through out the the service. So that's like almost double the population of the earth. And I suspect that Mm -hmm. your email address will probably be somewhere in there. Go and use that service. So I've heard of that service before, but I'm always concerned about putting in my actual password just in case that that service itself is Mm -hmm. also just like a scam. Like (laughs) That is a valid question. Like I don't really care about my username at this uh, sock place. Sorry, sock place. Uh, that's, That's not even a real name. But what happens is the attackers will take that information and then they will try to use those credentials across multiple services. As I said, yeah, people tend to be lazy, so they might have already used that same email address and password on their Facebook account or mm. their Netflix account. So now I can watch them and watch some random stuff. Okay, so Netflix is not really a big problem, but what happens with Facebook is I can sign in as yourself, and then I can suddenly say, well, disaster has hit our family, You know, flood has taken our house, we're homeless. We have nowhere to live. Please send us money. And friends and family will rush into sending money to uh, help you out. Obviously, they're not mm. sending the money to you. They're sending it to the, the person that is personating you. And uh, the FBI estimates that in 2018, over $250 million were stolen using this kind of attacks. So it might look totally innocuous for you or totally innocent to have your email and password stolen from some random uh, site. And if you are using unique usernames and passwords, then perfect. That's not going to be a problem for you. But because the majority of people out there, the non-IT people, will just go and reuse passwords, it becomes a very uh, profitable way of attacking. And it's like, no, you don't even have to try. You just go, there are tools that will go and try all these different permutations of usernames and passwords that were acquired by a dump, and then they will land somewhere. So that's why you need to be aware of your credentials and your identity. Your digital identity is super important. Or they can even take over your Twitter account. Now, good luck trying to claim that back. Uh, why? And have I been pwned doesn't require a password. All you have to do is put in an email or phone right. number. For instance, I've been, I've been there before, but I just went back and put in one of my emails and it gives me all the breaches. 500px, CD Projekt Red, Daily Motion, Dropbox, Evite, Last.fm, Park Mobile, Pluto TV, Trillion, Wildstar. Mm-hmm. And this is just one of my email accounts. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, scary. Yep. My email, one of my emails is listed 18 different events. <laughs> but I've had there that email go. for almost 20 years. So, all right. So, uh, my pick... This week is uh, before we start re- recording, Christos and I were talking about you know where I'm from. I'm from the town of Puyallup, which is just south of Seattle. And we we're talking about the fair that they have there. It's just an enormous fair. It's not your normal county fair. It's, it's huge. It goes for three weeks. It's got rides, animals, food, exhibits, vendors, just about all you can think of. I, last I heard, it's like in the top 10 largest fairs in the country. So it's that big. So, and it happens in September every year. So it's uh, coming up next month, but I won't be there because 
I'm playing it safe and I'm not in Puyallup right now. So, but that's where I grew up and I actually worked there one, one summer. So that was a good, good, good experience. So I grew up about three miles from the fair. So they actually have the fair.com. So if you want to see all the different things that go on there, like this year, they've got some good concerts going on. They've got uh, the Steve Miller band. They've got Carrie Underwood. They've got the Beach Boys. They've got Oak Ridge Boys, 38 Special, lots of big bands and comics go there and give shows during this during the fair. So if you had, happen to get to Western Washington, check out the fair. Or if you're around there, they call it Do the Piala. All right. Thanks, guys. If our listeners want to reach out to us, we'd love to hear from you. We, you can get right in touch with me. I am on Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Caleb Wells Coach. No sound effects. Well, you know, I'm not a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Christos. It's been good. Thanks, Christos. Yeah, Thanks great. Thank you, great security. Yeah. Great discussion. Man, now I got to think about all the apps that I wrote that are out there running. And it's like, uh-oh. Mm-hmm. No point in reminiscing, you know? Yeah. Just look into the future and how you can be better there. Just There you go. Don't be a lazy coder. Mm. Think about security. Security first. Yeah, so many things to think. Performance, security, scalability. Ideally, you want the platform to take care of these, and then you can focus on you know, writing software when you can. All right, great. Thanks, everybody. And we'll catch you on the next episode of Adventures in .NET. Bye, y'all. Thank you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.